0: Welcome back to Derry Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Derry Civic Center, this is Benjamin Graham with the news. Deceased author Richard Bachman will be at the Derry Public Library this Friday from noon to two for a book signing, followed by a Q&A. His publicist has asked fans to kindly refrain from questions pertaining to his dark half, Stephen King. The guy just really creeps me out, said Bachman in an interview before adding... Do you guys hear birds? You are listening to Dairy Public Radio.
1: This is Dairy Public Radio.
0: Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I am Benjamin Graham, here today with our co-host, Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And CM Alexander.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: And I'm super excited. Today, we literally rushed into the studio because we just finished watching The Dark Half, the 1993 classic starring Timothy Hutton and Timothy Hutton.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Should, uh, Should we go like cover that one point first? That this is George Stark and Thad Beaumont played by the same actor.
0: Definitely. Okay, so I wrote in my notes when they finally reveal George Stark. My first thought was, wow, they really did get someone that like that looks like Timothy Hutton but, <laughs> but like not quite. Like he has he looks yeah. just different enough that you're like, oh, I see the resemblance. And then I looked up the IMDPA page and it's like, oh, that's Timothy Hutton. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot.
1: <laughs> well, I'm a fucking idiot too because as I was watching it, I was thinking, is that the same guy? What's going <laughs> but what's interesting about that is that Timothy Hutton is a method actor, and he took these two roles very seriously, so seriously that he had his own George Stark trailer. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he was so method that the like some people were a little put off by it, but he the uh Makeup artist kind of got into it with him, and he started to dress differently. He'd wear like these Hard Rock T-shirts and stuff whenever he did George's makeup.
2: That's awesome! <laughs> that is next okay. level dedication.
0: <laughs> a, a method makeup man <laughs> a method is makeup the dumbest
1: man. thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I
2: thought, <that> <laughs> but they do. They, there is just a little difference mm. in how they obviously how they're dressed, but how they look, the style that. When the first time you see him, you're like,
1: oh, that's real close. Yeah, the makeup artist said that the look that they were going for was a twin who had had a rougher life. And I think they pulled that off exactly. Yeah, they
0: nailed that for sure. Literally, my only complaint about the, well, maybe one of two or three complaints is that he should have been blonde. That was the only thing that yeah. bothered me. Yeah,
2: yeah, that little detail. It it was less exciting when Thad gives the description where he's like, he's got hair like me, he's got eyes, eyes like, like me. me, he's about my height, <laughs> about my age. <laughs> I'm like, it's just me. Why I isn't say... Pangborn being like, yeah, you're describing you, man? <laughs> so, how but, about this? You not
0: getting? Well, Pangborn's whole motivation in the movie is was a little confusing to me. Let's get into it from the beginning. First thing I
2: noticed: Castle Rock Junior High T-shirt.
0: I didn't even I see that. Is,
2: that is what young Thad is wearing on, on his shirt. There's a little set that says Castle Rock Junior High. And uh-huh. I was like, all right. So instead of, I don't remember where they were from originally at the top of the book, but it wasn't Castle Rock. Yeah. So the fact that it has its roots fully in mm-hmm. Castle Rock, which comes back later with the cemetery and all that, mm-hmm. uh, seems so much more interesting to me. I was like, yes, this is like fully ingrained in Castle Rock mythology. George, uh,
1: George Romero is the director of this film, which we should mention because George Romero, Stephen King together. Amazing. amazing.
2: That was pretty awesome. And yeah. he
1: he wanted to be really true to it, but also he said he wanted to have his kind of George Flair, but he was more concerned with being true to the source material.
0: Which is is shocking because like it's very close to the source material, but it is restructured in a way. That is so much more satisfying. I I loved this movie. And there are some, forgive the pun, stark departures from the book. <laughs> Zing. Get out. Um, <laughs> but every single one of them not only worked, but fixed things that I had complaints about in the book. Starting out, the movie starts out. We'll start from the beginning with young Alan
1: writer (laughs) oh jesus christ
2: i have brain problems everyone it's not a dairy public radio episode until ben messes up
0: a name
1: so young Young fad
0: (laughs) young alan is waiting (laughs) and dreaming of becoming a police officer one
1: day. dreaming of becoming a writer (laughs) Uh, a young fad
0: is is writing and the opening is Pretty much just like the opening, except they got rid of his dad, which good. Riddance. Good. Yeah. And has his convulsions, and we get the surgery scene, which I was so excited to see. And Josh, you so had good. the best reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what my reaction was. I just made noises. Yeah, I think you just went, bye!
2: Yeah, like, oh yeah, when the, when the eye opened, the, roughly the sound was, Ugh! Yeah. That was, uh, the, they take the, the piece of skull away, and I was expecting instant eyeball. That's mm. exactly why, because that's how it is in the book. And then we see the nurse freak out, and I was like, what is she freaking out about it? just It just looks like brownish, and then, the doctor pokes it and the eye shoots open and i <laughs> lost it cuz uh, also that eyeball looks like it was half the size of his head yeah it was like shot. a full grown human eyeball <laughs> it was like, yeah it was like a full adult sized eyeball inside uh, the head and it was just the just this white cataract cataract eye and when he poked it it like blinked and i was like oh it's so disgusting and it's i so love gross.
0: it amazing special effect. Got I geeked yeah. out. That it was, was awesome. so cool. But then it cuts forward 23 years, and it jumps forward, and this is where it departs from the book, and it shows us Thad teaching, something mm-hmm. we never see in the book. We're just told, oh, he's a good teacher. Okay, and that is one of my main problems with the book is there's so much telling and not showing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Agreed. in the movie, we get to see... Thad teaching. We see Fref, I'm gonna do Fred. it again. Freddie Clausen. Fre- Fred. Freddie oh, Claussen oh, yeah. hey, Thank you. Thank God. Uh, we see Alan Pangborn confronting <laughs> Thad about um,
1: every character is
0: <laughs> about finding out that he's George Stark. We see Thad's reaction to it, which was awesome those two
1: actors together that was they were just chewing up the scene both Mm -hmm. of them that was amazing
0: yeah you get that you you never get the sense of frederick clausen you're just told Mm -hmm. oh he's this real creepy dude and in this scene you see oh what a piece of shit this guy yeah
2: he was like like dirty and disgusting and so arrogant yeah And like, can I have your autograph? And shoves a George Stark book at him. And I was like, oh, bitch, you did not. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And and Thad's reaction, you get to see him being George Stark. Yeah. As Thad. Because he's like, I want... To murder you, and
1: he does that as he's like fingering the pencils, the black beauty. Yeah, pencils. when he's playing with them. Oh man, and you hear the sparrows in the background
0: throughout the movie. Yeah, there are oh, so many points in the movie where you just hear faint. It's not mentioned. It's just there are sparrows in the background. It's ambient noise. So cool.
2: Now so, the the book when he, uh, the one thing the first thing that I noticed before. I realized that Timothy Hutton was playing both characters. Mm-hmm. The first thing I noticed was when he's holding the book open, the art on the cover of uh, Machine's Way and the face on the book jacket, mm-hmm. those look alike.
1: Tom Selleck. <laughs>
2: They're very Tom Selleck-y. <laughs>
1: or just his mustache. Yeah, I, I don't it's know.
2: the power of the mustache. <laughs> makes you think Tom Selleck. But that my first thought was, oh, that's neat that they put the the actor who's going to play George Stark on the back cover of this book so that later (laughs) we can see that because it's a different looking guy.
0: Yeah. But no, we don't get that because, uh, throughout the beginning of the book, another problem I had with the book is that we know right from the get go of the book, Stark came to life and it's murdering people and there's no mystery to it. For the first half hour of the movie, It is framed any time that you see uh, Stark, it's only his legs or from behind, and you never see his face. Mm -hmm. Uh, When he murders uh, Homer Gamash, who's now the photographer. (laughs) (laughs) That
1: was a weird choice. That was the first major departure from the book that I noticed, that the photographer and Homer were merged just into that one character. Which I... Yeah, and he has a prosthetic leg, because obviously he needs (laughs) both arms to take photos.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a brilliant idea, though, Mm -hmm. because it really uh, cleans up. It it makes Stark more efficient. Like, the murder of Homer Gamash is uh, a red herring, because he's not actually tied to Thad.
1: Right, it doesn't really make sense.
0: Yeah, but making him the photographer Mm -hmm. gives Stark a reason to go after him. Mm -hmm. which is amazing. And uh, the scene where uh, Homer stops to pick up Stark, you don't see Stark's face. There's this really cool sequence of him walking towards the truck through the exhaust of the truck so you can't, he's obscured. And he stops in the truck's blind spot and doesn't come to the window. And you're like, where is he? And then he pops out, but you don't see his face and Homer says when he drives by, that looks like, and as mm-hmm. a viewer, if you haven't read the book, you could have thought, oh shit, is that sad? Mm-hmm. And I loved that. I loved that, each, just that half an hour of, you don't know.
2: Yeah, there was no, every time there was no airtight alibi, as opposed to every other time when, in, in the book where it's like. Do you have any evidence that you were here this time? Oh, yeah, there we were at a party, and there were people at my house. Everything had an airtight alibi, and this time, there's not. Like, we just don't have that, so you mm-hmm. can
0: wonder. And, in fact, he was in... His alibi is that he was in New York instead of at this party, which plays into when Clawson is murdered, they find his body it was happened while sad was in New York it, it's it's almost the opposite and it makes it so much more exciting
2: uh, so then we get to meet Alan Pangborn finally uh Michael Rooker which was not expecting but I was so happy about it also really? I have never seen Michael Rooker with hair before <laughs>
0: and that was jarring uh Michael Rooker for those who don't know like I didn't Josh, you freaked out as soon as you saw his name <laughs> in the opening credits. And I was like, who the hell is that? It's it's Yanu from yeah. uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy. And really? Yeah. You liked him as Alan Pangborn? No, I like him. Oh. <laughs> I like Michael Rooker. The, well, the, one of the
2: notes that I made was that he starts talking and I'm like, oh, Pangborn sounds like an asshole. Because in my head, when we're reading the book, Pangborn is kind of just like I, I carried over the voice in my head from Needful Things where he's just mm. like this this protagonist who's just a good cop trying to do the right thing but Michael Rooker's voice always sounds like an asshole <laughs> And yeah. so I was like, "Oh, this is like a harder edge to I, Pangborn."
1: I think that's his one of his first, if not his first, good guy role because he yeah. played bad guys up to that point. And he's a great, George bad guy. George really liked him, George Romero.
0: I I I wrote down Michael Rooker is not Alan.
1: <laughs> I, I do agree with you on that. Yeah. The, he did a good job. He didn't he do did. anything wrong he at all. He did, but um, the. It, my only complaint about the movie, which like if I have to have one, would be that character. Mm-hmm. The changes that they made. They weren't bad and they did work for the movie, but I missed that relationship of of Alan with the Beaumonts and He has a much yeah. smaller His role. Part. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well that was one of the when he shows up, the fact that they know each other already mm-hmm. cuts all the tension out of that scene. Yeah. Like there there's really no yeah. stakes. It's it's kind of a reversal in that Pangborn is there because the co- those cops really want to take him in, and Pangborn's trying to be on his side. Where I would much rather have seen Michael Rooker come at him and be like, "Bitch, you're going down," and <laughs> yeah. just like all in his face, and because that's what Michael Rooker does. Also, his Rook's got a Rook, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, also, his by setting up that Thad has less of an alibi, which I love. It's great. It makes the stakes so much higher, but it makes. Alan's motivation throughout the movie make no sense. Why is he giving him the benefit of a doubt? In the book, he says, Okay, the only reason you're not in jail is because you have this solid alibi. And in this he's like, So you don't really have a solid alibi. Bye and Well, I think that's why they had to
2: change the relationship, because he came in and was like, Because I know you the way I know you it can't, it can't be you. Okay. So I need you to, like, keep giving me information. I need you to prove that I'm right. And so it almost made him uh, kind of a, a, a pansy of a character a little bit. <laughs> well, <laughs> that he was just, like, begging to be proven right.
1: He says, too, that he... Basically, he doesn't think he's a flight risk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because now that you know, he has all of this attention on him, like he can't go anywhere without being recognized
0: because that article came out, and it's huge. Yeah, because... Who are the most recognizable people in the world? Authors of unpopular books. Uh,
2: Well, and he just, uh, you know, being on TV and all that. so People have just seen this announcement. And he's
1: a handsome dude, so.
2: He is a handsome man. Timothy Hutton. Timothy Hutton is a much more (laughs) handsome Thad Beaumont than what my brain says. (laughs) Really?
0: Because, okay, this is another thing. Coming into this, I'm like, okay, uh, The Dark Half starring Timothy Hutton. I know that name. Who the hell is Timothy Hutt? <laughs> Why do I know him? I could not picture his name or his face. And even now, having just watched the movie, I feel like his face is already disappearing from my brain <laughs> into a blurred, boring white man face. Uh, I mean, that's Which fair. fits See, the character. I, he was really yeah. good.
1: I'm a little taken with him because I was so impressed with The way he changed his body language when he was George, Mm -hmm. just the little subtle things that set those two apart that really had me thinking, okay, I know this has to be the same guy, but I feel like it's not the same guy. Did they just get an actor with the same build and... Mm -hmm. It was, I was really impressed. That was awesome.
0: Yeah. Just the way he walks there is yeah. just, and it's like walk jazzy and theme
1: music, too. was yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be my theme music. When I walk into a room, I want the George Stark theme music.
0: Start carrying a straight razor, maybe. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the theme music will follow once you start carrying a straight razor.
0: Exactly. Okay. So, where do we move on from there?
2: <laughs> to the return of Ben, our favorite character. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> this fucking
0: cop. the the cop that we spent probably 10 minutes talking about on episode one of the dark half who finds homer gamash's truck and as that scene's going i i'm in front of ben so i can't see him but
2: i feel like i can feel ben's energy along with my energy leaning towards the screen because the first half like he sees the car and he he puts his car in park and then he walks he hasn't said a single line of dialogue and he's looking in the car and i'm and sitting it's... on
0: the couch and i go say it and, it, the, it was and
1: then it tense for a completely different reason
0: say it <laughs> and he says it and then he says it twice <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was unbelievable. Oh
1: I was so ask and your, you said your so mama if
0: she believes back. this. Nailed oh nailed it. It's possibly even more stupid <laughs> said out
1: loud. Oh, The goodness. fact, Ben, you you ruined that scene for me because <laughs> You're welcome. Instead of being worried, like when I read that scene in the book, I was like, this guy's going to die. This is going to be brutal. And then in the movie, I'm like, is he going to do it? And there was no concern about his safety. You know? Even the jump scares in it did not affect me.
2: <laughs> oh, thank God George Romero knows what things to keep in from the source material. Uh, then we get to uh, see our favorite old whore, Dottie, uh, as we go up to Frederick Clawson's apartment, which... I, okay, in the book, super gory, super terrifying, because it's so descriptive, and the whole thing where mm-hmm. George slips out right behind her, but this time she's coming with police, because he owes rent, and I, I assume she's going in there probably to evict him. Well,
1: what, they well, uh, Thad mentions him to oh, Alice, right, so that's they right, go that's to, why the police to check him out. Yeah. Right,
2: so they go in, and you don't really, you see... The back of the chair and his hands and legs, blood, blood all over the floor.
1: Naked legs. Na-
2: yes, naked legs. And then when it pans over and you see the sparrows are flying on the wall in picture blood. picture of Tom Selleck. And a picture of
0: Tom Selleck. A tongue
2: and then, yeah. nailed to the wall. The shadow of the of his head <laughs> leaning back and what appears to be a phallus.
0: I
1: did not
2: know out of
0: this. his mouth. <laughs> I am very upset. I didn't notice.
1: <laughs> See, wouldn't we be embarrassed to learn it was just like a sandwich or something he choked on?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's what you do
2: to a snitch. You shove a sandwich in their mouth, make them choke on it. But and then he goes and reveals. Pangborn reveals to him that, uh, yeah, it was pretty gory. Oh, and his dick was cut off and in his mouth. <laughs> and dad's like, that's what
0: I was gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> That, you fucking idiot. He's
1: bumbling in many ways.
2: (laughs) But he was almost disheartened. Oh, man, that's
1: what I said I was going to do. I
0: wanted to stick his dick in his mouth. (laughs) Damn, you were talking to the police. Episode
1: title.
2: Man, and then we have the dream the, sequence. Yeah, God,
1: that. What did you sequence. guys think of that? Because that, I re- I watched the movie first, and that dream sequence definitely has been something that has always stuck with me, and, and I've always remembered. But when we talked about the book, the dream sequence in the book is also really striking. So, were mm-hmm. you disappointed, impressed? Because it's different.
0: I thought it was amazing. Uh, because it's actually, uh, no, I guess it's not the first time we see George Stark. Never mind. But um, I loved it.
2: I, I'm on the same page. I definitely, I thought it was super cool. And it, and when I was reading it, it was a little disjointed for me when I read it. And it's supposed to be because it's mm-hmm. this, this terrifying nightmare. The fact that later it comes to be like the you recognize those set pieces when they come back later because mm-hmm. if the first time you're seeing it you're like oh this is this creepy house mm-hmm. and you don't know that that's their castle rock house. Yeah. So when that all comes back later it makes that dream sequence so much cooler mm-hmm. because it's all the you know same kind of camera angles and it, it just sets up that eeriness. I was scared of that house before I saw
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> the way they cut to the dream was cool too because it's just a normal scene and then mm-hmm. you don't know he's dreaming and it's daylight. And he, he gets out of the black car though, mm-hmm. and goes into the house. And he it has um, the same thing with the vase that breaks. And then there's like this, what would you call that? Like incinerator type thing. Yeah, I think it
0: was supposed to be an oven. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it
1: cracks open, in the turkey that Liz had overcooked, you know, a <laughs> couple scenes before scene. that fell apart. Chekhov's it's turkey like <laughs> oozing, <laughs> oozing blood, which is really creepy. And then instead of finding Liz with her tongue in her lap and her eyes popped out in the living room, she is tied to a chair. And she looks up at him and her the the effects that they have on her, the makeup and stuff is really cool because she's kind of white like a porcelain doll with these sort of um, puzzle pieces like this is, pattern. See, it looked like puzzle I thought pieces it was the me. same
0: pattern. When he walks in and he sees the vase the of base. flowers. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah that's the vase of too. flowers mm-hmm. that breaks when he looks at it. He finds Liz and her skin has this same porcelain of this vase mm-hmm. that he broke.
1: And yeah. then it shatters. It shatters <laughs> and and it's it's skull. skull.
0: <laughs> so Ramiro. So cool. <laughs> I loved it. And I, I think even better than just the gross out factor that the books yeah. seen.
1: the one in the book fits reading about it but mm-hmm. the visual that was in the movie wouldn't have translated well to the book
0: yeah yeah exactly Agreed. uh
2: yeah what you guys think of the killing of miriam
1: <gasps> oh sorry i oh, <laughs> no i thought that that actress killed it she did such an amazing job mm. and it it was brutal and you don't even so he you know we see her coming to her apartment the door opens as she's about to unlock it and you can see her having like that a second later she's going to bolt but she doesn't get that chance because Stark grabs her head slams her face into the door jam she gets knocked unconscious he drags her in does the whole call thing and her face is all bloody and she's Mm. hysterical and you really feel for her
0: and this whole time Stark is still, the way he is framed mm-hmm. in all of these shots, you only see his legs.
1: And he's so calm. So calm. His steps are so like precise and careful. And then he mm. slits her throat off screen after she makes the call. And I thought it was going to you know, jump to Gore shot, and it was just, you see him make the slice, and you don't see her again, you're like... Oh, man, (laughs) I didn't show it. (laughs) Oh, my imagination is going crazy. And that's
0: the first scene where we are revealed his face and where Josh and I found out we're dumb. Who is that guy?
1: I had to actually look it up. (laughs) Yeah, same.
2: No, same. (laughs) Well, and it's the fact that he's you don't see him in her face, but you get that feeling the way she's like looking up in horror Mm -hmm. that she's looking at, at a monster. And I was actually almost, I was surprised that she didn't, like, call him Thad. Like, I was surprised that she didn't have a a reaction to recognizing the face. Because the terror she looks, like I said, looks like she's looking at a monster, like a face she doesn't recognize. And Mm -hmm. to be fair,
0: it's not really his face. Which I think plays into might be why we didn't. Connect their yeah. two yeah. faces is because be. she didn't react to seeing
1: Thad. That yeah. separate George Stark trailer really, <laughs> really made <laughs> really all the difference.
0: Him out. Really
2: coming through. And then we have uh so now we have the the moment where we find out that uh that she's dead because instead of getting Thad on the phone, she gets his voicemail, which is another one of those beats of not giving him an alibi mm-hmm. when this was happening, gets the voicemail, so he makes the call and is like She's in trouble, send someone there, they get the phone call that she's dead, and he's like, all right, here's everybody else, everybody you could possibly need, and also, I can tell you what he looks like, which, as we talked about earlier, is just describing himself over. The only detail that I wish had been in there that wasn't is when he gives a description closing his eyes, because I don't know why that made such an impact to me in the book, but when he describes George Stark and he mm-hmm. closes his eyes and mm-hmm. he gives that super elaborate description of him because he's pulling that from yeah. his mind's eye from a mm-hmm. picture. That the picture doesn't exist. And that's where I think the importance of George looking so different comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's maybe that's why they didn't have him close his eyes, because he is just basically describing himself. But. It was just like
0: that little detail that I kind of wish had been in there. Well, that's that section, segment of the book where they can't, they really can't translate to the screen because most of that segment. The, the part that I loved is, that's the part where he, like you said, goes into the description of, uh, I believe that's the part where he says the thing about having the eye in his head that yeah. he uses to write that that people would steal it from him and gouge it out with a rusty
1: The knife. doctor already stole it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it. It's so much of that scene is inner monologue that, yeah, they couldn't really translate. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Translate. But
2: yeah. Uh, what about uh, Michael Donaldson? Would you guys how do you guys feel about his uh, the attack and oh, the
1: that was it? Was, I thought it was cool. I thought it was really neat when he punts him <laughs> into that the was... space heater.
0: Holy <laughs> shit! So <laughs> that was brutal, so awesome, and has my favorite line in the movie uh, that I am so glad came word <laughs> from word from the book, uh, where the guy opens up his apartment, and goes, "What's going on out here?" and just calm as can be, murder. You want some? Close, <laughs> Close the door. door. Uh, George is so
1: cool. <laughs> I like the the I little love that shot.
0: guy. Yeah,
2: I, that my, my note actually says that George is still cool as fuck. <laughs> but I liked that he gets out of the elevator and it's all dark, but it's those flashing lights, and then just that one really quick shot of all of the halogen bulbs piled in a corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and like I... George took the time to just set that whole scene
1: i think it's really cool too how he opens the stairwell door for light
2: mm-hmm. and then
1: like makes a mad dash to his apartment door where of course he drops the keys <laughs> and then
2: kicks them away
1: <laughs> <laughs> into george's foot yeah.
2: oh man yeah that scene was so intense and then george hid behind a plant again <laughs>
1: <laughs> to get away from my god. I'm glad they kept that. Yeah. <laughs> I was so amused by it in the book. And that says a
0: lot <laughs> for the movie that they were able to put that in the book and not make it look silly as yeah. fuck. Because that is a goofy visual in my brain, but they it's filmed in such a way that it works.
1: And the actor pulled it off cuz he's he's behind the plant and you see the foliage in front of his face, mm. you see his eyes and he's kind of like darting his eyes back and forth. I could not do that without looking silly as hell. <laughs> and he still looked creepy and cool.
2: Yeah, he did. Yeah. Now, uh I don't know if I just misheard this, but in the movie version, Donaldson is still alive. He oh, survived I, the attack. I because when they're that. when they're walking through the police station, Pangborn says that uh, he gave a description and the description looks like you.
0: Oh. Are you sure they weren't talking about the, the guy that maybe the neighbor. didn't want oh. any murder? It could be. Or the
1: police. The police saw him when he gets in the elevator oh, and he's like, Waves could oh, yeah, so yeah. okay. I, I don't know. Maybe I he misheard
2: <laughs> maybe I misheard that line of dialogue, but I was like I was like typing a note, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't think George that. would be
1: satisfied okay. if he hadn't died. Yeah. I don't he know. He wouldn't leave somebody not dead.
2: I don't know. I guess if I got my head punted into a <laughs> a heater i might die
1: and then we have the uh, richard
0: the, yeah whatever that
1: guy is publisher
2: yeah um, publisher and <laughs> getting scared by the window washing guy
0: <laughs> like just like in the book just like in the book but this scene this is one of the scenes that one of the few scenes in the movie that i didn't think was as good as the book because i he's the guy that he got he gets blown up right book and I guess they couldn't afford an explosion of special <laughs> effect, so he just. Uh, the cops are like, "Wait, the the crew should be out standing outside the door." So they so they open the door and they clear the living room and they're like, "You're <laughs> good, okay, bye." <laughs> and then they leave, and he goes into his bathroom and finds the two cops dead in his tub. With pin, notes pinned to their heads saying "more fool stuffing," tell sad, and then and they'll
2: have a nice day thing from the window washer,
0: <laughs> Stark uh, slashes the guy's throat. Says sorry publishing is a cutthroat
1: business (laughs) cool as
0: fuck this is a 90s movie and all 90s movies had to have a one-liner in it somewhere
2: (laughs) like like that happens george makes the kill and he walks out all confidently and then he gets on the the window washing thing and goes and the second his face leaves he's like Cut oh, their business. God, George, you're better than that.
0: He just berates himself all the whole way down the building. And yeah, he makes the least threatening exit ever. Can you imagine him? What He walks out the window onto the window washer thing and slowly, the slowest descent. How tall is that building? You know, he's, he's like 30 minutes. He's just sitting there like... But you do know do. what makes that
2: terrifying is the fact that from where he's descending the dude whose throat he's just cut and is trying to hold it together is just watching his killer, careful, just casually saunter across the room and just slowly get away. The fact that there's no rush to it as he's laying there, just bleeding to death and can't do anything. And it, everyone like, in the apartments
0: below the publisher <laughs> are like, "Why? Why is there a dude covered in blood slowly <laughs> descending past our apartment? I should probably call the cops so they'll be here in forty five minutes when he reaches the ground." <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, then we have the the writing-slash-communication scene between Thad and George, where George's mm-hmm. like, he, like, drifts off into space. It seems, in the book, it was much more direct. So he's watching mm-hmm. his his hand phantom right. But in this, like, the birds go, and he's just staring out the window and uh, under his breath asking these questions and getting these answers.
1: I liked that.
2: Me I too. thought it was a, a very interesting depiction of that back and forth. And in the book, we get the chapter by chapter of how each one of them perceive that. And in, in this, we don't, you just get pencil shoved through the fucking hand.
1: He comes to, and he's screaming and there's blood. And we all went, oh. <laughs> ah, <Yeah.
0: laughs> it my, came out of nowhere. was so sharp. like uh-huh. So cool. And my favorite cut in the movie, the cut from sad stabs himself in the hand and, And you see blood, a few drops of blood, fall on the notepad that he had been writing on. And then it cuts to George sitting back in a chair (laughs) with a pencil in his hand going, yeah, take that, motherfucker. (laughs) Like, cool as can be. Does not give a fuck.
1: We... We rewound that scene to watch it twice because he has this really awesome move. He's got one Man. leg propped up on the table like a badass with his like, snake skin boots or whatever. And there's a bottle of... Is it Jack Daniels? S- some kind some, of liquor. Some liquor next to him and he swings his leg off the table, swings it into the bottle. The bottle falls and he catches it in his hand and it's just like one cool, so cool. Smoothest The smoothest move, smoothest
0: move oh. ever. It is... So awesome at uh, illustrating the difference between him and Thad.
1: I really hope he comes out on top.
0: Guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start
2: practicing that move. I'm
1: so break can... a lot of bottles tonight. <laughs>
2: the only thing that I was missing from that, from not getting that back and forth, is not getting the George Stark can only write his own name.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is true.
2: But it also keeps George scary. Like, mm-hmm. that at that point in the book, you they're kind of humanizing George Stark a little bit because they're finally revealing his flaws mm-hmm. and those things. This, the movie, just keeps him a stone-cold monster the entire time, mm-hmm. which, for the pacing, it obviously needs to. But that was the only little detail that I was yeah. like, ah, yeah, that detail's so cool.
1: Later, he, he- tells Liz that he's... He was writing, and then he started to decompose. So not, I can't write, he needs to teach me, but yeah, I had it figured out, and now I'm falling apart.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is a cool detail that we miss out on, but we get, in its place, some of the coolest fucking makeup effects was just, it was so cool, the scene where George holds his hand up to the light and in the book it describes that he can see a pinprick of light through his hand and we see that awesome like how how? How'd they do that?
1: I, I, don't, I don't know. George Romero. That guy put on his hard rock t-shirt and got in his own.
0: Okay, I'm sorry for giving you shit before, uh, method makeup guy. You did a bang up
1: job. And his, his face gets creepier. Ben, was it ever Proud Flesh?
0: Uh, it was pretty gross. It's, <laughs> no, I'm taking it back. Everyone Google Proud no. Flesh. No, no, no. I will no, not don't do it. Don't do it, do it let's um, But that, that was another small thing i had is by the end of the book the image i had of george stark was basically i i imagined him with basically no skin left like he was
1: just sloughing yeah yeah, Yeah.
0: just a chunk of rotten meat basically and in the movie the 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 makeup is really cool Mm -hmm. uh the effect of him pulling at his cheek. And this black liquid yeah, that was oozing so gross. down his face <laughs> is very cool, but it, it never quite reached the uh, levels mm-hmm. that, you know,
2: that it's my described imagination as later, came <laughs> up with. Now, uh, another big difference, because uh, as we've established, Pangborn takes a giant backseat in this movie, mm-hmm. is the reveal when Thad finds out that he was a twin, comes from the doctor who performed the surgery. And I thought that was so much better. Yeah. (laughs) It was so much better for Thad to have that.
1: Connection, like that that more personal. Yeah. And the doctor discloses to him that his parents felt some kind of bizarre way about the growth that was removed, the tumor, and they had a burial for it. And, and that's what was oh. buried on the plot that the the George Stark tombstone is set up.
0: On. Yes. Crazy.
1: It makes gra- a lot of sense. No,
2: and I I'm, I started making a note and then I deleted it because I didn't think it was going to be important because <laughs> when they set when they're going to take that picture and Steve Holt takes <laughs> them to the gravesite and he's like, "Oh, we're just using it on the plot that your parents bought for you next to theirs." And I was like, "That's weird that they've Bought mm-hmm. their son a, a a plot next to them, but you know, I that's just a weird detail. No, it's actually a super important detail because that means he would have been. That's
0: where he was buried. They would have been buried in the same place. Yeah, it actually takes away some of the Man. idiocy, isn't the word <laughs> of of the premise of the of the book where it's just like. I don't know. He just... He's real now. Don't worry about it.
1: Well, I think we talked last episode, metaphor versus literal Mm. interpretation of George Stark. Like, how did he come about? And this is more sort of mystical means, which I I, I dug. I thought that was... I loved it. Yeah, it was pretty cool.
2: It's... Well, I had... One of the points I was going to bring up that we didn't really get to in the last episode was because we... uh, George Stark was born in Castle Rock. That was... The whole thing of like, if George, if uh, that had never gone to Castle Rock in the book ever in his life, would this ever have happened? Is it the, the power of Castle Rock mm-hmm. what developed this? Because all of these things did happen. But the fact that he gave birth to George at the house in Castle Rock is what pushed it over the edge and allowed it to gain that that yeah. power. So now setting his childhood and his whole life in Castle Rock from the get-go, I feel like solidifies that, that it's the power of Castle Rock that lets this terrible thing happen. And I think that's so much cooler. Like it gives yeah. that town that mystical power.
1: What did you guys think of the other sort of major change in the book, which I kind of, I thought was cool. Uh, Reggie slash Raleigh.
2: Yeah. The, the gender swap of the oh, professor. yeah. I, that was, I thought it was really good.
1: Yeah, uh, and that was made, apparently, uh, George Romero didn't like anyone the studio liked for that part, and the studio didn't like anyone George Romero liked for that part. And he's like, "This eh, sounds like it could be a woman. So there's this actress whose name I should have looked up. She's really popular, but George Romero was in love with her. I mean, he's married, <laughs> but he just, like, loves this lady. Sure. And so he cast her in it, and I thought she did great, was true to the character.
0: Oh, she was fantastic. Uh, all... I cared about is that she, she was a wizard looked and acted like a wizard <laughs> and 100%.
2: The first time you see her, like I was like, Oh, that could be Hogwarts. No, professor. Just like Ben
0: said, she easily could have played uh professor Trelawney. Like yeah. no problem. Totally. Okay. So last, uh, we were in sad in the doctor's office and he, the doctors said, yep, oh, yep. You had a twin. It got buried. And I thought I missed something. I was taking it. note. <laughs> Because the thing that happened next made me actually shout, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> because the doctor, while speaking to Thad, walks in the other room and George Stark pops out and slashes his throat and just leaves him there and then
2: bounces. They are just mere feet from one another. Yeah. Where the, like I, I thought that was going to be the first face to face. I was like, oh, that's going to be a big change, but... What a cool place for this to happen. And he just dips.
0: And playing off that that leaves Thad, not only does he now not have an alibi, he is literally at the scene of the (laughs) the crime. He is going to be seen where this dead body is and Alan not having this... uh, Having a smaller part, he still doesn't believe that The police don't believe that at all. That added an extra layer of, oh shit, How now there's this crazy murder monster after him, and the police are going to be after mm-hmm. him too. Mm-hmm. It really added tension. I will- I-
2: and I like the detail that the reason Thad notices that he should go check on the doctor is he just hears the horn honking, just over and over and over, and he goes and looks out and he sees the tornado going down the road. The only thing that I wish was like he's being such a dick getting his attention. I just really wanted like a middle finger to come out. <laughs> <laughs> the driver's like, <laughs> i just flipping the bird as he like <laughs> drives through the alley and whips into the road. And then Thad sees it and runs out and goes, you Should call an ambulance and leaves.
1: He bumblingly, <laughs> yeah, tells, very bumblingly, tells the receptionist to call an ambulance. <laughs>
0: Uh, speaking of giving the bird, uh, he then ends up at at Reggie. Reggie's house, and Reggie finally tells him about the Psychopomps and this one change because there's no evasion scene, which really uh, just
2: saves time, really,
0: really, <laughs> it really does, and yeah, it,
1: it makes way more sense. Yeah. It
0: does. It, it's uh, this movie is way more streamlined.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, sure. It has to be. It's a movie. It's right.
0: not 400 pages long. Right. Uh, but he ends up. At the house, and I thought it was interesting that um, Reggie sees the birds, just like in the book. She sees the thousands of birds flying overhead. But as he's leaving, she tells Thad, I wish I could give you a talisman or something. I wish I could give you something to fight back against this, but I can't.
1: You can. You did. Yeah, literally.
0: (laughs) How hard would it have been to be like, here's a bird whistle? I don't know. Uh, I thought that was just a weird omission. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was
1: weird that it was addressed. It's like it was addressed in the script like, "Oh, the fans are going to they're going to wonder where the whistle, the bird whistle is, so better have her say something about it."
0: I guess to be fair, the bird whistle in the book is kind of McGuffany.
1: Sure, uh, yeah.
2: Cuz all all it does is really signal the attack wherever like as opposed to once they're in their writing... The birds just start going on their own. They don't need to be prompted. Yeah. Because the birds know what they're there to do. And just, so maybe that m- keeps it more mystical. Yeah. yeah by true. not having him have that power.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess that, that does make sense. I just thought it was weirdly intentional. Just
1: wanted to see Timothy Hutton just wailing on a bird whistle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then,
2: oh, God. Uh, so Timothy Hutton in his decayingest stage of george stark is so awesome
1: his laugh is amazing
2: there is nothing better than a calm monster in my opinion
1: or an almost giddy (laughs) at times (laughs) yeah he's
2: a little giddy but like it's the fact that he is falling apart i mean he's got everybody held captive he's just waiting on thad to arrive and just sitting in front of the fireplace and it's just like if you do good and i'm in a good mood who knows what could happen this is gonna be a good time we're just gonna hang out do a little writing and let's just just, just hang (laughs) he's (laughs) so
1: so he's so confident about it too and well i hope you don't think poorly of me beth because you know i i like it here i might i might take up roots around here and you might see me from time to time
2: that was eerie and
1: then he does this weird like chuckle giggle thing it's it unnerving it got me
0: (laughs) real unnerving (laughs) Now, um, I, I
2: have a question yes in this world in this version of the dark half it, well i guess in the book it's very simple like the way with that uh we know Thad is, is innocent of these crimes the police know there's no way he could do these things mm-hmm. and in the end if george succeeds Thad will be gone and he will be the lone survivor in the body and it'll be complicated but things will move on in the movie if everything goes as planned and that is gone that body is still on the line for these murders because there has been no foolproof evidence saying they didn't commit it. So if George succeeds, he's still got a whole load of problems he's
0: not really thinking about.
1: Although Alan does, he comes in and he sees George or his uh, mostly skeletal picked oh, <laughs> apart. Oh, God. Yeah. We,
0: that's jumping
2: ahead. I, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Well, he, ben wants to save that. Thad,
1: Thad does have one witness who is a cop so uh, uh, i don't yeah know. i
2: guess but then uh get a bigger them- mess for um, sure i
0: have something oh yeah that uh we- we've gotten to this part where sad gets the call from inside the house of stark <laughs> has has liz and the kids and they'll be at the at the lake house and
1: wait where's aunt martha <laughs> the most important
0: character of the story. Um,
2: Ask your mama if she knows where I'm
0: <laughs> This actually uh, plays into my point that I'm about to make is, how did you guys feel about Liz in the movie? Because in the book, I-, I pointed out that I thought Liz was kind of a badass. She's strong and she's like there for Thad. And she, even though it, nothing ever comes of it, She keeps trying to get the upper hand on Stark in the movie. None of that, none. She's just a a woman that Thad needs to
1: like Alan Pangborn. She's very watered down, very one dimensional because Thad and George's characters seem to have the limelight, like, all of the energy and attention is focused on them. And I missed... I missed Alan's character and I missed Liz's character.
2: Yeah. I still think Liz had... Like, she exuded an amount of strength. I never took her for a damsel in distress no. weakling. Like, she always seemed like... Even though she didn't get the chance to do... Like, we didn't get to see the, the scissors in the... In the pants and the hiding knives. Like, we didn't get to see her actively do those things. The look on her face mm-hmm. always seemed mm-hmm. like... I'm waiting for my... I'm just... I'm going along with this and waiting for my chance. Mm-hmm. And if he lets his guard down for a second, I will go. Like I still always got that impression from her. Yeah. yeah the
0: actress was
1: very Yeah. Good. yeah. She did a good she job. She still
2: had all that intensity well, and never seemed like,
1: Oh no, someone saved me. And that's, that's why you have to read the book and watch the movie. Cause right. then you get all that nuance and all those little things mm-hmm. that really make the character pop.
0: I agree.
2: We have him in a room together with the twins and, and no Allen. no Alan, still no Alan, of not nowhere to be seen.
0: honestly, Uh, Because I wanted to bring this up last episode, but it slipped my mind. Why does Alan live? In the book, Alan is sneaking up on the house, and he's going to go in and do some recon on his own. And George sneaks up on him and puts a gun to his head. The whole book, George is this ruthless killer, no prisoners, no... He has no... He doesn't care about Alan Pangborn. Why did he just not blow Alan's brains out in the woods?
1: No reason. Yeah, oh, That's exactly. a
0: really good question. It would have been
1: a real Stephen King move to kill Alan. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Just uh, with but, no, yeah, sir, just, like, no pomp and circumstance. But he yeah. was yeah. obviously setting up Alan as the main character of Needful Things uh, because they kept bringing up his wife, who's ha- who's sick somehow. And obviously he knew, okay, Alan is going to be the main character of a next book, so he couldn't kill him. Yeah, he had so plans. I thought it worked so much better that Alan just wasn't there.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: But Thad shows up and uh the rest of the the finale plays out extremely accurate to the book.
2: There was a lot of like I liked the the point in the the book that I always thought was creepy is, uh, we, we talked about this, when Liz sees them together and has that moment that she can't tell them apart, despite the fact of how disgusting one is, and that they look totally different. Seeing them together when they have, they have that uh, drinking and smoking buddies kind of <laughs> attitude, that once they're together, they're two halves of the same person, so they just kind of meet in the middle and kind of become the same person for a while as they sit across that secret writing room which is so fucking cool <laughs> yes. really to see in real life I and wish i that want was our it studio i was <laughs> just about to say can you i can am create so sorry that?
1: that i do not have a sliding bookshelf that you have to go through to get in here you guys
2: we'll get on it would you please i, I
1: mean i have bookshelves. So many books in here. Well, I thought that the special effects were really cool. Mm -hmm. I want to get that out there because it was the nineties. And yeah, there were problems with the special effects. And there's there's a whole issue with the company, I forget which company it was. Um they were going bankrupt during Orion. Oh Orion. Yeah, they went they went bankrupt during the filming of this. Mm -hmm. So there were some financial problems And George Romero had to kind of navigate that and fight with the studio a little bit. And there were some issues and he wasn't happy with all of that. But I thought um, a lot of what they did with the birds was really cool, especially when they came pouring into the house. And there's, they actually built this contraption, like this, this thing with fake birds on it and it spun. And so it was like a cyclone of birds. All of the, A lot of the effects for that were practical. All the things that ended up looking really cool that they used for the movie were practical little things that they built. Which makes sense. George Romero. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's please talk about George Stark getting picked apart.
0: God, that (laughs) was so cool! Metal as fuck.
1: Holy shit. That was the most intense look I've ever seen it's on your face. It's so button. cool.
0: Uh, Alan finally comes. He shows up for some reason. You don't know why he showed up, but he had to. And he grabs grabs Liz and they're rushing upstairs and all the birds are pouring into the house. And there's no wall of birds, but it's 1991. How are you going to film that? Right. Um, And they rush upstairs and they throw the bookcase aside and george stark is a bloody screaming skeleton (laughs) so
1: and they they, did you see where they picked out his eyeball
0: yeah Mm
2: -hmm. did you see the part where a bird flew in one side of his skull and out the other because
0: that was awesome (laughs) and was
1: like inside his rib cage yeah Yeah. breaking it apart they they carry off, like, the top half skeleton of his body into not a dark void, a really bright void, which, again, goes back to the issues with special effects yeah, in the and not 90s. getting what they needed to finish it, but it does... You know, it does yeah, it follow was, the book. It was definitely a
0: portal in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I still have an argument for in the book. But it's I, I, definitely a dumbass portal. looking portal. Yeah, if maybe.
1: you watch the bonus features, George Romero's like, that looks dumb as hell.
0: <laughs> it, he's
2: not wrong. It does look really dumb. But it is the very, very end. And if that's yeah. like the only time that I was like, oh, that's kind of Hokey bad. Yeah.
1: They they don't burn down the house.
0: Yeah, it just ends with the the portal closing. Credits roll, and that kind of bugged me because Josh is right. There was still a bunch of murders. that <laughs> is is one hundred percent going to
1: prison. Yeah, as, as an accomplice at the very least. Yeah, because even
0: if even if Alan is like, I saw something really fucking crazy in that house, every other police in the world is going to be like, with there is hard physical evidence and him at the scene of a murder,
1: yeah.
0: we don't care. And no 100%. hard evidence of this,
1: this guy that was carried off into yeah. a void in the sky.
0: Right. 100% uh, well, Thad ends up in jail. But I
2: think that the as far as the movie goes, it needed to end right there because the rest of the book is so dependent on the Alan-Liz-Thad relationship yeah. that we don't really get.
1: That's yeah. true. And we, we Nobody shared
2: a miscarriage story, I so guess, how are they supposed to bond?
1: Just, I do miss that... Bit at the end though, where Thad's like, "Hey, th-, you know, to Alan, I feel like you used to like me now you don't," and he's mm. describing why that wouldn't work in the movie. I realize that, yeah. but I-, I guess I'm glad that I read the book first and I have all of that to kind of keep in my head as I watch it. But yeah, what did? Okay, so I saw this before, <laughs> and I'm just—it seems like you guys really dug it.
0: I loved this yes. movie. <laughs> I—it's rare, few and far between. I, this is going to be controversial, think this movie is better than the book. Wow! I think think this movie improves upon the book in so many ways, just through pacing and the ability of George Romero. Shows, doesn't tell. Stephen King, throughout the whole book, tells and doesn't show. So, I, I think this book or this this movie the book is good the movie was pretty freaking awesome would that be that's a that's a 5 out of 5 chambray shirts oh, in, my, wow. in my opinion
1: <laughs> Josh? Uh, to
0: be honest so w-
2: when people talk about the whole that book to movie uh comparison and it's, like like you said there the movie's never as good as the book is and it is pretty well documented that there are like a lot of negative reviews for a lot of stephen king movies Mm -hmm. not a surprise to a lot of people so this being a movie in the 90s that was a (laughs) stephen king like i was like Mm -hmm. all right this is we'll we'll see how it goes Yeah, i mean like i I like the story a lot so we'll see how it goes and i believe i gave the book a four out of five and Mm -hmm. i'm giving the movie five out of five
0: it was Would
2: great. Watch again. Hell yes. I will join you in watching it every year, CM. <laughs>
1: well, it is, listeners, only seventeen dollars on Amazon.com or shout slash scream factory. <laughs> it's a Blu-ray edition, has a lot of bonus features, looks pretty good.
0: It is shockingly good. Yeah. I yeah. was I fully expected to come in and be like, uh, that movie kind of sucked. <laughs> but no, it was So good. So good.
1: Ben, you've given me something to think about when you said that you like the movie better than the book because I'm really torn now because I kind of agree with that. But at the same time, those few things that you can do in a book that you can't do in film, I love so much that it's, I hesitate to say I liked the movie better. I think together they're both it, it's a wonderful and awesome experience to read the book and watch the movie mm-hmm. in whatever order you do it i think you would not be disappointed either way um ultimately i guess i would also give it five <laughs> <laughs> Chamber shirts. weird i was <laughs> gonna
0: guess <not, say>, <laughs> you're gonna give it five out of five anyway that's for the, uh, that's for the
1: book so movies are different you oh guys. No, that's true movies are you know, up was, in the air. this was back when yeah, it was before you could really rely on Stephen King movies to be pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And it, like I said, I've watched this a dozen times. It's great every time. It holds up, it which really is does. amazing.
2: The acting is top notch. The special effects, the makeup, everything is so good. I,
0: I, I, just, I loved uh, it. All right. Well, uh, that's our uh, our take on The Dark Half starring Timothy Hutton's. Um, uh, thanks for joining us guys. And, uh, we're excited to announce our next book that we will be reading and we're going to be trying something different this time. We are going to be reading one of, uh, Stephen King's novella collections, Different Seasons. And, uh, the way we'll be doing this is uh, there are four, uh, short novellas in the book and three of the four have movie adaptations, so uh, we will be dedicating the next four episodes uh, to one novella each and the movie uh,
1: per episode.
0: Per episode. So our next episode will be Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, which I'm so excited. Uh, I haven't watched the movie in nearly three weeks. Um, <laughs> It was on T V. What am I gonna do? Um, Josh, not watch the yes. Shawshank Redemption. You're not a monster. So uh, thanks to our number one super fan, Bryant Burnett, for uh, for suggesting different seasons. I'm really excited to get into it. How about you guys?
1: Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. I'm very excited. I would be lying if I said I haven't already started.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Big surprise. I've never read any of these. Oh, All right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. And join us next time for The Shawshank Redemption. For C.M. Alexander and Joshua Kahn, I'm Benjamin Graham reminding you that you are disturbing my peaceful frame of mind.
1: Hey everyone, C.M. Alexander here. Thanks for listening to The Dark Half Part 3. This episode of Dairy Public Radio is brought to you by our awesome sponsors, Constant Readers. If you haven't heard of Constant Readers, it's the most comprehensive Stephen King fan site on the internet. Not only do they read and watch every Stephen King-related book, movie, TV show, and comic, they then write all about it. Check out all of the amazing things they've done so far on their website and buy a cool t-shirt at constantreaders.org. Or find them on Instagram and Twitter at constantread 12. That's C-O-N. S-T-A-N-T-R-E-A-D-E-1-2. And here's how you find us. Facebook or Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. Leave us a comment. We may give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. You can also email us. We love to hear from you at DairyPublicRadio at gmail.com and like and subscribe to us on all the places you listen to podcasts. Before we say goodbye... Did you know that there are also human psychopomps, also called soul midwives? Which would be a better band name? Human psychopomps or soul midwives? That's it for now. Join us next time for part one of different seasons. Goodbye, listeners.